Hey everyone, Selena Kulkarni here for another episode of the Freedom Warrior podcast, where it's my job to share the latest insights, tactics, and strategies around alternative wealth building. For those of you who'd like to learn more about financial freedom through alternative methods, please head over to my website, freedomwarrior.com.au, where you can access my library of articles, interviews, and programs to help you on the way to becoming more financially free. Now, on to the show. Hi, everyone. Selena Kulkarni here, and welcome to another episode of the Freedom Warrior podcast. It is my job to share with you the latest insights, tactics, and strategies around alternative wealth building. And on this episode, I want to go super granular. I want to really show you at a numbers level what the differences are between alternative and traditional property investing and how you can use that to really explode your wealth. For those of you who want to learn more about financial freedom through alternative methods, please head over to my website, freedomwarrior.com.au, where you can get access to my library of articles, interviews, and programs to help you on your way to becoming more financially free. Now, let's get on with the show. So guys, in today's episode, what I really want to do is unpack a little bit for you about how to really understand the key differences between some of the uh, strategies which sit in the alternative property investing space and those which sit squarely in traditional. Because I think when you start to look beneath the surface and understand some of the numbers, you actually begin to understand how uh, it isn't necessarily one or the other um, that I'm advocating, but really the blend of um, both strategy bases. Now, uh, for those of you who've tuned into past episodes, Alternative property strategies are really strategies which are beyond the grasp of most Australian investors. Uh, This is in part because of the fact that um, although some of these strategies do exist in Australia, often they require significant amounts of capital to access. Uh, The deals are few and far between. It's really the playground of the ultra wealthy and sophisticated investor. Uh, And finally, for some people, who look at the deals in the alternate space in the Australian market, because the dollars involved are so high, um, the associated risk is also uh, considerable, particularly when you may not be uh, in first position on some of these deals, meaning, you know, if something were to, you know, if everything were to turn to custard, for example, uh, you may not necessarily get your money out first. Um, In contrast, When we look at doing deals in the alternate space in the US market, um, the sums of money involved are smaller, um, so the risk per deal is smaller. Um, In most cases, you are in first position, meaning if something were to go wrong, um, you could swoop in and just take the property. Um, And and thirdly, I think the, the deal flow in that space when you are affiliated with the right people can be considerable. So what that means is you're not spending vast amounts of time searching for deal flow, as might be the case in the Australian market. So given that context, what I really want to do today is actually dive in a little bit into a couple of concepts to help you understand at a grassroots level what the difference is. So guys, one of the easiest ways of really understanding the differentiation between Uh, what can occur in the Australian market versus the alternative property investment arena is to think about real numbers. 
So imagine you wanted to have uh, an income stream of 200000 At one end of the spectrum, you could argue that you wanted all your investments in Australian property. Maybe an amazing gross return would be something like 5%. In actual fact, the national average is closer to 3.85%. But maybe net, which is really the most important number, the net, let's imagine you hold those assets without any debt, is something like one to maybe two and a half percent. So I'm going to actually err on the side of being more generous and say, let's imagine that the the return after all expenses is 2%. Now, in order for us to earn a passive income of 200,000, and I know I'm, I'm sort of imagining a, a higher income, you would need uh, roughly $10 million in Australian property. At the other end of the spectrum, uh, imagine you were all in on alternative property investment strategies you would only require $2 million worth of assets there earning an average of 10% in order to achieve that same $200,000 in passive income. Now, the next way to say this is to say, look, imagine you have $10 million worth of net assets, which is a a crazy high number. Now, imagine uh, that you're all in on Australian property that would earn you roughly $200,000 after all expenses. At the other end of the spectrum, that same $10 million would earn you a million dollars after expenses in income stream. So you start to see that there's almost a five-fold differential between one end of the spectrum and the other. Now, I'm not arguing that either end of the spectrum is right or wrong. Each asset has its place, and I'll, I'll find another podcast episode to really kind of tease that apart for you. But the important thing to understand here is that um, you as an investor, your job is to actually distinguish, you know, where on that spectrum you feel most comfortable. But in my opinion, if you're serious about creating financial freedom prior to, uh, you know, the traditional retirement age, then you must consider alternative investments as part of your mix. Now, the, the easiest way for me to really demonstrate what this looks like is to actually go through a real Uh, real deal sort of scenario. Now, let's imagine you have half a million dollars that comes your way, whether it's through inheritance or you've earned it or you found it or you've, you've saved it, whatever that looks like. Option one could be that you're all in on local property. Now, if we think about uh, how the most conservative model of property investing works with leverage here, typically you're putting in 20% and you could estimate 4% purchase costs. That means on that half a mil, you'd have assets worth 2.084 million and debt of 1.66 million, giving you equity of 416. Now, if we fast forward 10 years, because this is where it gets interesting, imagine you have somewhere between 4% growth and 6% growth over that period of time. At 4%, your asset base would now be worth 2.966 million. Um, Let's assume just for the sake of simplicity, that you chose not to pay down any of your debt during that time and you just made interest repayments, that would give you a portfolio net worth of $1.298 million, so not bad. At the other end, let's assume we got 6% growth. Now, our portfolio is now worth $3.52 million with uh, same debt and a net value of $1.853 million. So again, pretty good. Now, if we look at the cash flow on that, the gross cash flow at 5%, but let's focus in on that net cash flow because really 
you know, I'm advocating it's what's left over that matters the most. The net cash flow, and let's assume again a 2% uh, income stream after expenses on those assets would be somewhere between, if you'd had the 4% growth, would be 25980 If you'd had 6% growth, the income stream would be $37,073. So that's, that's the starting point. That's the option one. Let's just imagine all in on Australian. Now let's switch to the other end of the spectrum, which is option two, all in on alternative. Now let's imagine that there's no movement in the exchange rate just to make it easy to calculate. And let's assume that we're going to split that half a million dollars into three buckets. Um, I'm also going to assume no inflation in both cases. Now we're going to put some of that money into a bucket for 125,000, some of it into a bucket for 250,000 and another bucket of 125,000 giving us our half a mil. Now in that first bucket of 125, I'm going to split it across a bunch of deals that gives me 10% return. In the $250,000 bucket, I'm going to chase a slightly more conservative strategy. I'm only going to aim for 8%. And in the final bucket of 125,000, I'm going to pursue slightly more aggressive investments at 12%. Now, what you can see is immediately the cash flow per annum across those three buckets at, you know, 125 at 10% gives me 12,500 a year. $250,000 earning 8% gives me 20,000 cash flow a year and 125,000 at 12% gives me 15,000 per year. So if you add all the income up from those three buckets, it gives us an annual cash flow of 47,500. So you go, great, that's from day one. Now let's fast forward 10 years so that we can compare apples with apples. If we assumed that each year we took our $47,500 cash flow off the table, what that would actually result in is cash flow collected would be $475,000 and our original investment of half a million would still be half a million. Now let's imagine we had allowed it to compound, meaning let's assume that for that 10-year period we decided we were happy living off the income that we were earning and we were happy to reinvest any money that we earn in that market. Um, so what would happen is with compounding, that balance would now be $1.252 million. Now, if we look at the cash flow coming off that, those two amounts, without compounding, the cash flow is still 47500 so nothing's changed there. With compounding, if we'd allowed the money to compound, and then in year 10 we said, actually, we don't want to work anymore, let's just start living off that income, that compounded balance of 1.252 million would be throwing off an annuity, an annual cash flow from year 10 of $122,000. So big difference. Now let's set all of that aside and focus on the power of the blend. So with a blend, let's assume we've been ultra conservative and we have decided that we actually want to invest only in Australian property for the full ten, first 10 years. So we fast forward, and as I showed you earlier, you could have somewhere between say four to 6% growth. Now let's assume a middle of the road outcome. Let's assume we got 5% growth across our portfolio for those 10 years. That would give us an asset base of 3.23 million. Debt was the same at 1.67, we didn't touch that, giving us a net asset base at the end of year 10 of 1.565 million. 
Now we have some some options here. Let's assume um, that we take 30% of that asset base and stick it into alternative at the 10-year mark. That would put 469,000 into alternative and give us just over a mil, a mil 96 into local property. Or let's now go to another scenario. Let's assume of that $1.5 million equity balance that we put 40% of that into alternative. So we liquidate part of the portfolio, pay down some of the rest. That would give us 626,000 in alternative and 939,000 in local property. Now let's assume a more aggressive scenario. Let's assume at the end of year 10, we took our Australian portfolio and we decided to liquidate 50% of it in order to put half into alternate and leave half in Australian property. So that would give us 782 in each of those two buckets. Now let's look at what happens to the cash flow. The annual cash flow, if we took just 30% of our um, balance, our 1.5 mil and stuck it into alternative, same as before, three opportunities, that would give us a total cash flow from alternative of 44,000. The local property would still be giving us that 2% and that would be 21,000, giving us a total cash flow if we only stuck 30% of our balance into alternative of $66,545. Now, if we assume the middle scenario, let's assume we took 40% of our asset base at the end of year 10 and stuck it into alternative. That would give us cash flow from our alternative investments of 59,000. Local property would be earning 18,700, giving us a total cash flow of $78,288. And then finally, let's assume we were really bold and we went 50-50. So we're not saying liquidate all of our assets, we're just saying take 50% of it. That would give us a total cash flow from our alternative of 74,374. From local property, it'd be just over 15K, giving us a total cash flow if we had a 50-50 split between here and alternative, of $90,032. Now here is the big aha that I want you to really focus on. The original cash flow at year 10 before we split into alternative was 31,000. If we had taken simply 30% of that to put in alternative, that would increase the cash flow by 212%. If we'd taken 40% of our Australian property portfolio at the end of year 10 and stuck it into alternative, that would increase our cash flow by 250% overnight. And similarly, if we took 50% of our portfolio at the end of year 10 and stuck it into alternative, that would give us a whopping increase in our cash flow of 287%. Do you see the gravity of what I'm talking about? This is unbelievable. So guys, the, the real purpose of today's little scenario analysis was really to illustrate that if you are interested in boosting cash flow, which all of us should be, the, the journey of being a property investor should be about how do I go about building the largest possible capital base in the shortest period of time and then 
at a time that seems appropriate to you, how do I ramp up the cash flow? The reality for me in the Australian market is that it just simply cannot be done without taking unnecessary risk. The world of alternative is definitely something that needs to be understood before you proceed down that path. But I can tell you now, if you do it carefully, cautiously, if you do the right due diligence, if you partner with the right people, it can simply blow your results out of the water. So anyway, guys, I hope you found that really useful. Um, Please remember that this podcast has been produced in conjunction with a video. So if you really want to look at this in some high degree of clarity, I highly recommend you head over to my website and actually check out that video. So guys, thanks again for listening to the Freedom Warrior podcast. Just a few things before you take off. Number one, I hope you really enjoyed this episode and I would love if you could hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on future episodes. Also, I would really appreciate if you could rate and review my podcast to help other people find it. Secondly, each week I send out a unique newsletter where I share with you some of the most interesting things I found throughout the week on wealth creation, financial freedom. It could be an article. It could be a favorite product. It could be a framework, an interview, so many more things. And finally, if you're interested in fast tracking towards being financially free, I run a series of programs that can help put you on the path to generating a significant six-figure passive income through investing. If you're interested, please head over to freedomwarrior.com.au where you can find out if it's suitable for you. Till next time, take care. Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Warrior podcast and a few things before you take off. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on future episodes. And I'd really appreciate it if you could rate and review my podcast to help more people find it. Also, each week I send out a unique email newsletter where I share some of the most cutting edge and interesting things I've found during the week to help you on your journey to financial freedom. And finally, if you're interested in fast tracking towards being financially free, please check out my programs where I help you get onto the path of generating a significant six-figure passive income through investing. If you're interested, head over to freedomwarrior.com.au to find out if it's suitable for you. Till next time, take care. See you on the next episode and bye for now.